0: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. Word of God for meditation this evening is Matthew 27, verses 27 to 31, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear fellow disciples of Christ, A husband comes home seething with rage. He'd had a bad day at work and the time that he spent at the bar didn't relax him. It just loosened what few inhibitions he had left. Not seeing a hot dinner waiting for him on the table when he walks through the door at 8.30, he towers over his wife, shouting that he will not tolerate such disrespect, and bangs her head against the wall when she dares to look away. A second strike with the back of his hand draws blood from her nose and lips. A seven-year-old boy comes home from school, excited to tell his mother about the good grade he got on the quiz and and the, the ferret that his classmate brought in for show and tell. But he never gets the chance. His mother meets him at the door and says, What are you smiling about? Look at this mess! Do you think that you can just leave the house looking like a pigsty and come home and like you did nothing wrong? The boy doesn't know what to say. He doesn't see a mess, and he didn't do anything different before he left in the morning. But his silence doesn't help. You'd better answer me when I talk to you! I'm your mother! Before he knows it, she's grabbed a yardstick hit him on his back twice and once on his head, which breaks the stick and makes her even madder. He drops his bag and runs out of the house into the woods, the same as he always does when she's like that. The recruit was in good shape and thought he was ready for anything when he joined up, but he was small and scrawny. The drill instructor decided to make him a target already on the first day, so nothing he did was ever right. Things reached ahead on the last day of the third week, when the recruit struggled to finish a ten-mile march with an 80-pound pack on his back, just like all the others. When the DI asked him, What's the matter, Peanut? Are you tired? And the recruit dared to say, Yes, sergeant, I am. The eye dragged him into a corner of the barracks and beat him to a pulp to teach him a lesson about insubordination. No one else had the energy or the guts to intervene. The dictator no longer really needed to instill terror in his people. They had already lived in fear of him for years, but that didn't stop him. Every few months there would be new reports, sometimes printed in the official newspaper, sometimes just whispered in the shadows. A supposed dissident and his family here, an entire village there, a, a formally trusted official who that the dictator decided was too well-liked, whoever, wherever, for whatever reason. The secret police or the army would be called upon, and there would be torture. And there would be machine gunning and the occasional hanging. Resistance was pointless and no one even dared to dream of an end to their national nightmare. Now, what do all of those situations have in common? Besides a certain familiarity and believability from what we've seen of the world, there is
1: savagery violence, cruelty.
0: Every one of those situations should make any decent human being and certainly any Christian cringe, perhaps even cry. People acting toward other people with such brutality offends us not just because it is violent. We can tolerate that in other situations like war or boxing or or football. No, it sickens and revolts us because of the imbalance and injustice of it. The strong abuse the weak who cannot resist, and the innocent suffer for no good reason at all. It's not how those who have power are supposed to treat those under their power. And it's not what the hands of a husband Or a mother, or the state are for. Which is why our stomachs should turn and our hearts break when we hear, whether it's for the first time or the 400th time, when we hear about what was done to Jesus, beginning late on Maundy, Thursday, and continuing through the morning on Good Friday, it was savage it was violent, it was cruel, and it was clearly unjust. Tonight we see our Savior abused
1: and tortured by hands of brutality.
0: It's worth recalling that what we read earlier from Matthew was actually the second time that Jesus suffered such savagery. This, while in the custody of the Roman governor, was more vicious and, and bloody. But, but late the night before, the Jewish leaders had abused Jesus first. At their illegal trial, their inability to find any kind of evidence, real or manufactured, that to convict him of a capital crime made them frustrated. And even after they seized on the blasphemy of Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, their desire for satisfaction was not fulfilled. So those leaders of the people, who were supposed to be examples of wisdom, righteousness, and justice, lashed out at the man bound before them. First they lashed out with mockery, and with slaps and spitting until finally, finally they were ready, their rage vented, ready to send him on to Pontius Pilate, who was the only one who could order an execution. But things didn't go exactly as they had planned. The Roman governor, interviewed Jesus and, correctly, did not find any reason to hold him, let alone have him killed. But Pilate was motivated much more by self-interest than justice, and he did not want to deal with the political fallout of, of going against the angry mob that had gathered outside the palace. The more they screamed, Crucify him! The less inclined Pilate was to do the right thing because the last thing that he wanted was a riot, even if it meant that an innocent man suffered. So the governor tried to split the difference. He reasoned that that perhaps the crowd's bloodlust would be satisfied by something less than a crucifixion, and the Romans had just the thing, and then maybe he wouldn't actually have to kill this Jesus. So Pilate handed the innocent teacher and miracle worker over to his whole company of soldiers. A a cohort was about 600 men, handed him over with orders
1: to brutalize him. The first thing they would do was
0: flog Jesus. They used a lead-tipped whip called a flagrum, which was designed to break open the skin, cause massive bleeding and internal injury, and thus weaken the person so that he he, he couldn't resist anything more that might be done to him. Now, Jewish law put a limit on the number of lashes a person could receive, but the Romans had no such restrictions. Ironically, this type of scourging was, was sometimes considered an act of mercy for anyone who was about to be crucified. Because you were so weakened by it that you would die more quickly. Now, it's worth noting that for the average Roman soldier, a tour of duty in Judea was like being sent to the ends of the earth. There were none of the attractions or temptations of other lands and cities, and the only action was dealing with petty squabbles and resentments from the Jews who clearly didn't want them there. So entertainment would have been hard to find. And having Jesus delivered over to them for torture would be, well, a welcome diversion. So after they stripped his back bare, one pair of soldiers' hands took the flagrum, pulled it back, and let it snap as its teeth tore into Jesus' flesh. We can imagine the other soldiers cheering him on, or perhaps even asking for their own turn with the scourge. How many times did the whip crack, and how many hands held it? We aren't told. But they were careful to still leave him able to stand, because their fun was just beginning. Remembering that the Jews' whole case against Jesus revolved to claim that he was their king, the soldiers threw a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted thorns together into a crown and pressed it onto his head and placed a stick into his weakened hands, knelt down, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they spat on him and beat him on the head again and again with the royal staff
1: that they had put in his hands. And yet,
0: though they would not have known it, with every brutal act and vicious word, God's word was fulfilled before them. In Isaiah 50, the Messiah spoke of his future suffering and said, I submitted my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and from spit. And in Isaiah 53, we get even more description and explanation. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent in front of its shearers, he did not open his mouth.
1: Why? Why would
0: Jesus submit to this? He was the Son of God, and the one to send, sent to save the, the very sinners who were brutalizing him. Isaiah tells us the amazing truth. It
1: was the Lord's will to crush him and to allow him to suffer. So Jesus was not suffering this
0: because he had no choice. The imbalance of power was actually in His favor. The Almighty Son of God and Lord of Lords was experiencing this brutality because He chose to endure it in our place as our substitute. If, if Jesus had not endured this shame, if He had avoided the indignity, if He had retreated from the cross or or refused to drink even a drop of the cup of suffering prepared for Him, well, then there would be no forgiveness,
1: no hope, and no peace for sinners.
0: God's wrath would remain unquenched and would be aimed at you, and me. And we know what
1: that looks like. Eternal torment in hell. A much worse punishment than any Roman
0: scourging. But when Matthew or the other gospel writers describe for us how Christ was brutalized, their goal, the Holy Spirit's goal, is not to get us angry at his enemies or to take action against them. We should feel it deeply. But when you hear and read these accounts, consider that as much as Jesus endured, that is how much you are forgiven. He suffered everything so that you might have everything. Pardon, peace, life, hope, heaven, comfort, care, guidance, love,
1: and also freedom.
0: Freedom from the worst kind of brutality mistreatment at the hands of Satan and slavery and bondage to sin. We may not suffer physical violence from these enemies, but they seek to overpower us and treat us cruelly. But they cannot do that anymore because we belong to Jesus now and and He defeated them for us. He was brutalized in our place and died in our place and rose in our place so that we might be done with sin and Satan might be silenced. Those who wish to do us eternal harm are eternally overcome. We still have to deal with those who wish to do us Temporal harm, though, to hurt us in our bodies or cause us other troubles here and now. We expect savagery, violence, cruelty, and nightmares from a sinful world. But now we have what Christ did and endured for us to strengthen and inspire us when we experience injustice and brutality. The Apostle Peter encouraged us in his first letter, Therefore, because Christ suffered in flesh, arm yourselves with the same mindset, because the one who has suffered in flesh is done with sin. And Paul says in Philippians 2, Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Taking on Jesus' attitude enables us to turn the other cheek, enables us to pray for our enemies and persecutors, enables us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Because Jesus made peace with us through the brutality He endured at the hands of sinful men, we are able to live at
1: peace with the people around us, even
0: if they don't want to live at peace with us. But whether others raise their hands to us with brutality or friendship, We know that the all-powerful Jesus is on our side and at our side. We know that justice has been done. And we know that eternal life and perfect peace and bliss awaits us at the resurrection. Christ won us victory over every enemy,
1: and it is ours forever. Amen.
0: May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it.
1: Amen.